This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's the voice of self that does reject the voice of Satan saying to commit suicide. That's the voice of self that does reject the voice of God saying to trust Christ. That's the voice of self that says, I can do it without God. I'm strong. I can overcome. I can prevail in this problem. I can do it all alone by myself. This was the voice. This was the voice that Nineveh chose to hear and follow. And Nahum chapter two is the outcome of that history. And that's why it's so important to us. Because what's very important for us to realize about Nineveh is that 100 years earlier, that great city of Nineveh repented of their sins. We all know that from the book of Jonah. The preaching of Jonah told Nineveh that you have 40 days, Nineveh, 40 days before you're going to be totally destroyed by God for your sins. And Nineveh responded to God. Nineveh trusted in the mercy of God. Nineveh threw themselves into the hand of the mercy of God and counted on his mercy, as it says in Jonah 3, 9. Jonah 3, 9, when Nineveh said, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it now. 100 years later, Nineveh's in the same boat again. They've returned to their old sins. They've turned away from God, not listening to the voice of Satan to just end their lives, not listening anymore to the voice of God, but saying, we miss it. And when they missed it, They were like, the Bible says, they were like a dog returning to his vomit. Nineveh has returned to the vomit of all their old sins, and now there's a new Nineveh that's not one of the past, and Nahum, like Jonah, has proclaimed the destruction of Nineveh when it says in Nahum 1.6, Nahum 1.6, who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. This is Nahum, who has now taken up the position of Jonah, but the tragedy is Nineveh is deciding not to listen to the voice of God in Nahum 1.7. This time, Nineveh has decided to listen to that evil voice of self, 
of self. And Nineveh has said to themselves, we are strong. We can succeed. We have ammunition against the Babylonians who were their enemy. We have ammunition. We have lookout guards. We have strong legs. We have power. No one can get to us, not even God. And God looks at the self-trusting Nineveh and he says, you say you have a great stock of ammunition? Fine then. Verse one, Nahum 2.1, Nahum 2.1, keep the munition. God says, you say that you have the best lookout guards to warn you and protect you? Fine then. Nahum 2.1, verse one, verse one, watch the way. God says, you say you've got strong legs? Fine then, Nahum 2.1, make thy loins strong. You say you have great power? Fine then, verse one, verse one, fortify thy power mightily. As Nineveh prepared to fight her way out of her trouble, there was just one problem, and it's the problem of everyone who tries to live a life independent of God. And the problem is verse 13. Verse 13, Nahum 2.13. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I'll burn her chariots in the smoke and the sword shall devour her young lions, etc. God is against Nineveh. So all the strength and the preparations for war are not gonna be enough because God is the enemy of Nineveh. And sometimes when a person is very deep in trouble, very serious trouble, the problem is not with man, the problem is with God. The problem is verse 13, behold, I am against thee. And in the Hebrew in verse 13, when it says, I am against thee, it's really very simple words that say, I to you, that's how it reads. I to you, which paints the picture of God standing right in the way of the person who's rebelling against God. Just like a person who's, who's marching down the road of rebellion against God and God stands right in his way to block that person and says to that person, I'm confronting you, you can't see me, but I'm against you. Just like Balaam's donkey, that Balaam says, I'm going, I'm going, and the donkey sees the angel with the sword and the donkey doesn't move, and, but Balaam doesn't see. And this is what's happening with Nineveh, that God's against them. They think it's just a problem of the Babylonians, we've got munitions, we've got lookout guards, we're strong, we've got strong legs, etc. but they don't realize that God's against them and that's where a person has to come in their lives when they realize that a life of independence against God, a life of rebellion is against God. It's against God, against God. And God is saying, like he said to the apostle Paul, Paul, don't you realize in your fighting against me, you're fighting against Jesus Christ, that you're kicking against a thorn bush? It's hard, isn't it, Paul? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, he said. And the more that a person strives against his, what he perceives his opponents in life, the more he comes to realize that there's something that's just unexplainable about all the problems I'm having. God is behind all these opponents. And Nineveh discovered that with all the I wills. In verse 13, verse 13, God says, I am against thee. God says, I will burn chariots. God said, I will cut off the prey. And when God told Nineveh in verse 13, the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. God was talking about the messengers that God has sent to Nineveh. 
Nahum the prophet was the last prophet to Nineveh. There comes a time in a person's life when God says, I've said enough. It's done now. And God says, I'm not sending any more messengers to you, Nineveh. God said, I'm finished sending messengers to you. He had sent all the messengers needed to Nineveh. And maybe at that point, Nineveh said, finally, relief, great. Maybe a person says, finally, stop telling me. Like one person said to me, Tommy, do we have to hear that Jesus died for my sins? And God says, okay. But even though God was against Nineveh, and even though God was fighting against Nineveh, Nineveh still had the voice of God saying to them, come home, Nineveh. Come back, Nineveh. Fall down now as you fell down in the past. Cast yourself into the hand of God as you did in the past. Trust in God's goodness and mercy as you did in the past. But God says that what's going to happen to Nineveh when they do not do that and fall into the hand of God and beg for his mercy, God says that he would send the Babylonians to destroy Nineveh, and they did. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians, and God calls the Babylonians the emptiers. The emptiers in verse two, verse two. The emptiers have emptied them out. I never heard of a word like that before, the emptier. But what a graphic word that is to describe what happens to what happened to Nineveh, what happens to a person who turns away from the Savior, from Jesus Christ, the Savior that he once knew. That person thinks he's getting his freedom. He thinks he's got liberty. He thinks as he rejects Christ, but to turn from Christ is to turn to the great emptier, Satan himself. And Christ put it so well in John 10, 9. John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. That's freedom. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But the emptier is described in John 10.10. The emptier is a thief who empties by stealing. The emptier is the murderer who empties by killing. The emptier is the destroyer who empties by breaking down. And when a person turns away from Jesus Christ, that person turns to the emptier, to the devil, the ultimate emptier, which is why in Simon and Garfunkel's song about America, on the, the boy and the girl on the bus, the boy says, Kathy, I'm lost. I said, though I knew she was sleeping, I'm empty and aching and I don't know why. What a life statement. I'm empty and aching and I don't know why. And when anyone turns away from Christ, they don't know why. They're turning to Satan, the great emptier. At first, there's this feeling of fullness. It's great. It's an eventually, though, Satan, the great emptier, will make that person say, I'm empty and aching and I don't know why. That's what the devil does. In verse two, verse two, the emptiers have emptied them out. And when a person turns away from Christ and comes to the end of his life and he tries to look forward, he sees nothing but, verse 10, verse 10, she's empty and void and waste 
and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together. Much pain is in all the loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. That word in the Hebrew for verse 10, the faces of them all gather blackness, reads, the faces of them all collect paleness, an anxiety that generates a paleness. What a statement at the end of life. I'm empty and aching, and I don't know why, because they don't see the devil as the great emptier, but they see the work of the devil in verse two. Verse two, the emptiers have emptied them out, but by contrast to the emptier, the devil who empties out is Christ, who is the filler. He's the filler who makes full. In John 10, John 10 again, he says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The devil comes to steal, Christ comes to give. Luke 12, 32, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The devil comes to kill, Christ comes to give life and give it more abundantly. John 10, 28, John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The devil comes to destroy, and Christ comes to build up, Colossians 2.6. Colossians 2.6, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him. Christ is the great filler who says in Psalm 81.10, Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. That's a promise of satisfaction in life. Ephesians 3.19, Ephesians 3.19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a promise of fulfillment in life. Colossians 2.9, Colossians 2.9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Great him to meditate on. Complete in him, no work of mine could take the place, dear Lord, of thine. That's a promise of completion in life. And Nahum makes this and paints this very bleak prophecy. It is bleak, the book of Nahum is bleak, against Nineveh and describes how Nineveh and the Assyrians are going to be completely destroyed by the Babylonians, and it happened, it all happened. And what's amazing about this is the time frame. Nahum lived and made his prophecy about the destruction of the Assyrians, about the destruction of Nineveh 100 years before it actually happened. 100 years. Nahum is telling Nineveh, Nineveh, that God was gonna destroy you and you're gonna be in a state of verse 10. You're gonna be a state of, she's empty, she's void, she's waste, her heart is melting and the knees are smiting together and much pain is in all the loins and the faces are all pale. And there was, when Nahum said that, there was zero indication that this was going to happen. Nahum said these things to Nineveh when Nineveh was in the height of her power and her glory. And people looked at Nahum and what he was saying about the complete destruction of Nineveh. 
And then they looked at Nineveh, the most powerful, wealthy city on earth, and they said, no way, I don't see it. I see no evidence that Nahum is right in saying that Nineveh is gonna be destroyed because they've turned back to their violence and back to being a bloody city. They look so strong, they look so secure. And that's the same reaction that the lost have today at what the Bible says is gonna to happen to them outside of Christ. The Bible says, Mark 16, 16, Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's a promise of damnation for a person who does not come to Jesus Christ. John 3.36, John 3.36 says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's a promise of salvation for a person who comes to Christ. But a lost person may be in the middle of a very, very rich happy life on earth and see no evidence of the destructive damnation that the Bible predicts for his life outside of Christ. But a 100 years after Nahum made his prophecy about the doom of Nineveh, the destruction of Nineveh happened. Just as God promised Nineveh, there's no Nineveh today. There's just a pile of rubble, a heap of ashes a pile of memorial stones gone forever, just on the pages of a book of history like we're reading about. Just the same as at the end of a life when a lost person dies, the destruction the Bible predicted happens. Now, we gotta ask the question, why did God hold back for 100 years the destruction of Nineveh after Nahum proclaimed it so clearly? Because of Nahum 1.3, the third verse in the first chapter, Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger. Of Nahum 1.7, Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Why does God hold back the destruction of a lost person for the whole lifetime? Because of 2 Peter 3.9, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Ezekiel 33.11, Ezekiel 33.11, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Now in verse six, there is a, Nahum chapter two, verse six. In verse six, there's a prediction of how the city of Nineveh would be conquered. It says in verse six, the gates of the river shall be opened and the palace shall be dissolved. A river flowed into the city of Nineveh, supplying it with the city with fresh water all the time. And the wall of the city was built to the edge of the river. There was a great rain that happened and the rain caused the river to overflow its banks and when the river overflowed its banks, it undermined the foundation of the wall, which collapsed, and as a result, verse six happened. Verse six, the gates of the river shall be opened. And when the Babylonians, their enemies on the outside of there, they poured in through the opening of the wall, and when the king realized that, he gathered all of his wealth, he gathered his princes, he gathered his concubines into the palace, and he had the palace burned. 
the palace was dissolved, as the Bible says. And the desolation then was seen by the queen called Huzab. And as people were fleeing out, she left in verse 7, verse 7, Huzab shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up and her maid shall lead her as the voice as with the voice of doves tabbering upon their breasts. The word breast there is literally the word hearts, hearts. So this means that they're beating on their hearts, on their chest, and wailing the queen is being taken out of the palace. And just as Nineveh today, it's just a memory. It's just a memory. While Nineveh was being destroyed, the memory of Nineveh was prominent in the minds of the people. All they had was a memory in verse 8, verse 8. Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. So that picture is as Nineveh is being destroyed, there's the memory of how Nineveh used to be and its greatness, and Nineveh is seen as the, in the past as, oh, it was like a big, stable pool of water. Strong, not able to be conquered, not accessible, so prosperous, so flourishing. And in the moment, this all changes for the city, and now all the people want to do in Nineveh is run as fast as they can in verse 8. Verse 8, they shall flee away. And the scene in verse 8 is still is that, that while there are some loyal soldiers in Nineveh, they're crying out for the others, don't flee, don't flee, stand, you stand, stand. But they cry that as they're running away. And as they're running away and they're saying, stand, stand, none of them look back to see who's not standing in verse 8, verse 8. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. And now our focus changes from the Ninevites who are being destroyed to the who are fleeing away. The enemy, we see the invaders who are now running into the city and we hear in verse nine, their shouts to each other. They're shouting to each other in verse nine. Verse nine, take you the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold. There's none end of the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture. So as the invaders, Nineveh, Assyria was famous for having just spoil pouring in constantly into their city as they would conquer nations, conquer peoples, and all the gold and the silver and the precious furniture. And as the invaders are running into the city, they're shouting, get the spoil, get the spoil, get the silver, get the gold, get all that pleasant furniture. So the invaders have two things on their mind. First, kill. And we see in verse three that the shields of the invaders are red with blood and that the warriors are covered with blood and they're seen as in scarlet. And as they're going through the city with these chariots, the chariot wheels are, are sparking as they go over the stone of the, the streets. So the chariot wheels look like torches and there are so many chariots that are coming into the city that, is, that they're jostling against each other, it says, and those sparks are coming up, it looks like lightning. Verses two, three through four, verse three through four, the shield of his mighty men are made war red the valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. Their fir trees shall be shaken terribly. The chariots shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another in the broad ways. They shall seem like, seem like torches. They shall run like lightnings. So then that's the first thing that the invaders are thinking about. They're thinking about kill, destroy. And the second thing they're thinking about, plunder, take. It's absolute chaos. It's killing and plunder. And during all this killing and plunder, there's all this shouting of the maids of the, the queen and they're beating on their chest and then there's the soldiers who are running away saying, stand, stand, but they're not looking to see who's standing. And the shouting of the, it's total shouts of the invaders. And finally, when all the dust settles and it's all done, in verse 10, she's empty and void 
and waste. And you look around at Nineveh after the invasion, and all you see is just emptiness, all been plundered. City is void, it's empty. Gone is the beauty that once was there. Gone is all the strength. Gone are all the people. And for the small little number of Ninevites who just happened to manage to hide, to escape the edge of the sword, those ones that are left are described in verse 10. Verse 10, the heart melteth, the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. The city that was once a city of great security, of confidence, has now become a city of great fear. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.